331, 331 in your pew Bible. The theme for the cadetting year is from verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be terrified, do not be discouraged. The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. We're going to read the whole chapter, and as our text, we're going to expand it a little. We're going to uh, take verses 6 through 9 as our text. It helps us understand more fully what it is that uh, the Lord is saying to Joshua in verse 9. But we'll begin at verse 1, page 331 in our pew Bibles. Hear the word of God. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where, you're, where you set your foot. As I promised Moses, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. In other words of our text, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. That's the end of our text, but we'll finish the chapter. So Joshua ordered the office, officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. But to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. The Lord your God is giving you rest and has granted you this land. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan. But all your fighting men, fully armed, must cross over ahead of your brothers. You are to help your brothers until the Lord gives them rest as he has done for you and until they too have taken possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you, or gave you east of the Jordan toward the sunrise. Then they answered Joshua, Whatever you have commanded us, we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go, just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey your words, whatever you may command them will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. That's for the reading of God's holy word. Again, the verses 6 through 9. Three times in those verses, the Lord says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. And so, yes, you might imagine, there are three points to today's message. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, to be brave to be courageous. That's something 
that we are taught, I think, at a very early age. Our moms tell us that. Maybe for these young cadets here, their mom said that to them when they went for the first time to school. That's a bit of a terrifying experience, isn't it? And so they say to their son or their daughter, be brave, be brave. Maybe it was the first time to the dentist. Well, maybe not the first time because you don't know about dentists. So the second time, the second time you go to the dentist, then they have to say to you, be brave, be brave, it'll be okay. There are all these moments in life, aren't they? Maybe it was the first time that these boys went to cadets. Maybe that was a terrifying thought. It's a bit terrifying to walk through this church on a Friday night for the best of us. So maybe it was for them too. And mom said, be brave, be brave. It'll be okay. What does that mean to be brave? What does it mean to be courageous? What does it mean to be, in that sense, bold? It means, of course, don't be afraid. Don't be worried. Be strong. Be confident. Everything's going to work out great. It's, it's an encouragement to us to face the challenge. Now, it's an encouragement that acknowledges the challenge because to be brave means there's something, in, there's something frightening in front of us. You don't need to be brave if what you're doing is easy, if what you're doing doesn't scare you, if what you're doing isn't troublesome or, or difficult. You don't have to be brave to go to bed. You don't have to be brave to eat your supper. But it's when you're doing something new. It's when you're doing something that's difficult. It's when you're facing a trial in life. That's when you need that encouragement from God to be brave. Being brave means there's something scary. Courage means doing something even when it's scary. It means staying strong in tough times. Now, that isn't enough information for us to understand what God is saying to Joshua here. It's not enough for us to just say, well, God's telling Joshua, be brave, be courageous. Like our mothers tell us when we face scary things, God is saying to Joshua, be brave or be courageous. And the reason it's not enough information is, is, is also because of these young cadets. See, young boys have a tendency to be brave and to be courageous just at the wrong time. They have a tendency to be brave and courageous and willing to do crazy and foolish things I can tell you stories from my own youth, foolish things that now you look back on them and you think, oh, what was I thinking? That could have gone so badly. That could have gone so, so badly. Someone could have been hurt. Someone could have even been hospitalized or even worse. We are sometimes foolishly brave. The fear that maybe we experience in our gut is fear we should be listening to. It's something that we should be paying attention to. Don't do this. This is foolish. Of course, there are other times when we have to push through and we have to, in the face of our desire to flee, not flee. So courage can sometimes be good and admirable, and sometimes it can be foolish or short-sighted and dangerous. So how do you know when to be brave? How do you know when to be courageous? Well, that's what our text tells us. Our text speaks a word to, to Joshua from the Lord after Moses has died. And it speaks a word of courage. A word of courage that was necessary because Joshua was about to do something extremely scary. Moses had died. Joshua was now called to lead this national company, this enormous multi-million citizen strong company into the promised land. 
this was a scary prospect for Joshua because Moses, Moses was the greatest leader of the Old Testament. He was the most humble man before Jesus. And Moses failed in this task. He didn't want it. You'll remember that at the burning bush, he said to God, send somebody else. I can't speak. This is too much for me. And then you'll remember that he got so angry with Israel because they rebelled against him, because they constantly refused to listen to him, because they said to him, look what you've done. Look at how you've made our lives miserable. Look at how you have failed to lead us properly. And Moses, you'll remember, then struck the rock in anger. And in striking the rock, struck Jesus Himself. He struck God in His wrath. And so God said, you may not enter into the promised land. Moses had died not because he was old or weak. His eyes were as bright and strong as they had been all his life. He was a man full of vigor when he died. No, the Lord had taken him, you might say supernaturally. He had brought him up to the mountain and shown him the land and said, now you will come home to me. Moses died because he had failed. And now Joshua has to take on that task. He has to take on that task of leading a wayward and, and straying people. A people that didn't respect Moses when he lived. A people that didn't listen to Moses rebelled against him countless times. And not only did Joshua now have to contend with a wearisome people that were frustrating and difficult to lead, but he would have to do so in the battle against the enemies that were before him in the land of Canaan. God was saying to Joshua, I want you to go to war. I want you to go to war with these people. I want you to fight to the death. You can begin to appreciate, can't you, why Joshua had reason to be afraid. Before him stood a task that Moses couldn't accomplish. How could he? And before him stood a task that was a matter of life and death. How could he possibly win? Do you ever find yourself there? Do you ever find yourself in that place? If you don't, there's a problem. Because we're all there at some point. We're all there. We're there because of the culture in which we live. A, li- a society and a world that is filled with self-esteem. You can do anything. You can be anything. You can accomplish anything. We live in a society where it's not simply uh, acceptable for everyone to have the same access to blessing. The equality of opportunity. Everybody has access to education. Everybody has access to work opportunities. Everybody has access to success. But now we live in a society where there must be an equality of outcome. That is, that you must not only be able to work, you must be able to make as much money as the next guy. You must be given that money. The government must ensure that you have everything. You, if you never work, you should be allowed to live your life in the same sort of luxury that the world around you does. It's not just equality of opportunity, it's equality of outcome. Because our world says you're worth it, you deserve it, you are good. And in a world like that, facing challenges is not something we do. Fighting, struggling, striving, working hard isn't something. I should be given blessing. I shouldn't have to earn it. 
That's the environment in which we live. And spiritually, we face challenges that are significant. The immorality of our age. You think of what these young boys have to grow up into. You think of the perverse, grotesque society that when I was their age, people didn't swear in the presence of women. Women swear now just as much as men. You certainly did not speak of sexuality with the same open perverseness. You didn't defend immorality the way that our world does. These young men live in a society that has an enormous pipe of filth aimed at them. And how are they ever going to stay clean? Or think of the addictions of our world. Think of the challenges that are presented to them in the addictions in alcohol and drugs. Think of the challenges they face as they are prompted, as they are encouraged, as they are told that these are good things. These are good things. If you want your life to be good, these are the things you should be doing. And beyond that, think of the things that lie behind the ideas of our world. Think of the philosophies. Think of the attitudes. Think of the the mentality that invades our world. Think of the, the Marxist mentality. Think of, think, of, think of things, words like trigger. Think of words like toxic. Think of, think of those words which are words taken from an entirely anti-Christian, anti-godly environment. Words that are used even by our own people. Not because they understand what they mean, but because they have been swept along in the foolishness of this world. They have not understood the call to faith and the surrender to Jesus Christ. The devil has opened his mouth and the, the torrent of filth that flows from it seeks to sweep away the church, including these young men. Their battle is not against flesh and blood. Their battle is against principalities and kingdoms and powers. And it is a battle of life and death. It is a battle of life and death. The young people I grew up with, the young people that attended young cadets, kingdom seekers, young people's Christian school that I went with, most don't go to church anymore. Most don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They have fallen in the battle. How will these boys stand? How will you stand? How will you fight? Do you have it in you? I hope you understand that you don't. Because then you're open to the word and the promise of God that speaks of better things. As he says to Joshua in verse 6, because you will lead these people, or be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to your forefathers or to their forefathers to give them. God says, be strong and courageous in the fight that you're about to engage in and the task that I've now given you because I promise it will succeed. That's what God's saying here to Joshua. You need to lead these people into the kingdom of God and I promise it will happen. That's what God gives to Joshua to bolster his spirit, to encourage his heart. He gives him a word. He gives him a promise. It will happen. He doesn't speak to him of ability. He doesn't give him great military equipment or strength or insight. He doesn't give him great personal charisma or strength. What God says to Joshua is be strong and courageous because I promise you this will work. 
A promise that comes from God, from the Lord, from Yahweh, the covenant-keeping Lord. A word that God has just acknowledged. He's kept keeping. It's a word I gave to Moses. It's a word that I have fulfilled. It is a word that is true. That word had gone back all the way to the days of Abram, hadn't it? God had said to Abram, I will give you all of this land. It had fueled Israel's departure from Egypt. God had remembered his covenant. And it would carry this people to take possession of the land and it would carry these people all the way to the very cross of Calvary. A cross that was placed outside of Jerusalem on Golgotha, a cross within the promised land that God had given to his people. God would keep his word. It doesn't always seem that way to be sure. That's the challenge, isn't it? It doesn't always, for some of us, it doesn't seem like that's the case today. Because some of us are here in grief. Some of us are here in pain and sorrow. And we wonder what the Lord's doing. It doesn't always feel like God's promises are yes and amen. When we're lying or sitting beside that loved one in the hospital room, when we are struggling through the trials of this life, then that word doesn't seem to be true. There were times for Joshua where that would have been true. But the truth is, God keeps His promises. The promise remains. And that promise was to be for Joshua an encouragement to his spirit to take that next step forward, to do the next task, to fight the next fight, to lead the people in the midst of all of their complaining wearisomeness and burden to go forward in obedience to his Father because God's promise was his, just as it is ours. For we have all been given promises too. Promises from God signed and sealed to us in the water of baptism. Baptism is that promise, isn't it? A promise that God will watch over us. A promise that He will work in His power for us. That He will forgive us and wash us clean. That He will save us eternally. That we will be victors in the battle. That we will be more than conquerors through Him who loved us. The promise of God to these young men has been given to us all. The God who keeps His Word has given us each that promise. It's an amazing thing when you think of it. We do this so easily, so quickly, and so carelessly. We baptize. But every time we baptize, the God of heaven and earth, the almighty, sovereign, majestic God comes to this infant, this child, and says, I choose you to be part of my family. I who am mighty, majestic, glorious, and great. There's no other way for us to have a relationship with God. There's no way for us to climb up into heaven and say to God, will you be our God? No, God must come down to us. And He does, He does every time He does again. He comes to us in that Word and the infinite, mighty, eternal, all great and glorious God says to this child, to these boys, I'm your God and you're my son. And I promise I will watch over you. I will forgive you. I will bless you. So be courageous. Be brave. Now to do that, you've got to trust the promise. 
That's the nature of promises. Promises must be believed. You can believe them or not. But if you would have great courage in the midst of a dying world, courage to enter into the spiritual battle, courage to fight against the immorality, against the addictions, against the foolishness of this age, courage to live sacrificially in the midst of a world of selfishness, courage not to look out for yourself, but to look out for others, courage to bear up under trials that will inevitably come, courage that will equip us to carry on in the midst of the challenges of life. If you would have that courage... You must believe the promise of God. You must rest in His Word. You can have courage without believing in that Word, but it's foolishness. It's foolhardiness. It leads only to sorrow and grief. Genuine courage in this life can only come to those who rest in the promises of God and who walk by the prescriptions of God. The second strong and be very courageous is followed by the prescription, be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful in everything writ- to do everything written in it and then you will be prosperous and successful. Now, here's a word that can be misunderstood when taken out of its context. Here's a word that health and wealth preachers love to use. And what they want to say to us is if you do it right, you'll get the blessing. You'll earn it. You'll accomplish it because you are worthy. God wants to bless you, but you've got to do your part, which usually means giving them money. But that's not at all what the Lord's saying to Joshua here. And indeed, if it were what God is saying to Joshua, then none of us would have any courage. Then all of us would have only fear. Because how can you do enough to satisfy God? How can you live up to the standard of God's righteousness? How can you be so good, never sinning, never failing in thought, word, or deed, in no sins of omission or commission, how can you imagine that God would look upon you in favor if it were up to you to be such a person? We want to believe that. We want to believe that we are up to the task because we're constantly being told that we are. But the truth is we're not. None of us is. Thankfully, that's not what the Lord is saying to Joshua because that's not the context in which God is speaking to Joshua. Put in its context, the message becomes much more encouraging. To understand the context, we have to remember what a covenant is. Maybe the simplest way to do that is to just think of a relationship. What's a relationship? Two people living together. And in that relationship, both parties make promises and take on obligations. That's true of all relationships, business relationships, friend relationships, parent-child relationships. But let's think for a moment of a wedding relationship and the relationship between a husband and a wife. They come and they stand in the church and the husband says, here's what I promise to do. And the wife says, here's what I promise to do. Why do they make those promises to each other? Why don't they make those promises to anyone else? 
There's lots of people in the church when the wedding happens. Why do they only promise these things to each other? It's because they're in a unique relationship with each other. A devoted, a loving, a committed relationship with each other. What they're saying is, here's the things I'm going to do because I love you. Because I am devoted to you. Because you are mine and I am yours. Well, now God's covenant with us follows the same pattern. God comes down and he says, here's what I'm going to do for you. Now, you'd think that would be the opportunity for us to say, well, God, here's what we're going to do for you. First, the bridegroom speaks. And now the bride gets to speak. We're the bride of Christ. So we get to say to God what we're going to do. Well, that doesn't really work, does it? Because God is not like our husband or our wife. He is God. You can't tell God what you're going to do for him. You can't enter into an arrangement with him. No, God, who is sovereign, he's the one that comes to us and he says, here's what I'm going to do as the bridegroom and here's what you're going to do as the bride. And our responsibility as the bride is to say yes. Oh, yes. Oh, I love... I love to be in relationship with God. I love that you've chosen me. I love that you include me in your devotion, that you are so committed to me that you sent your son to die on the cross for me. And I'm so committed, I'm so happy that you have saved me. I'm so thrilled that you have made me your own, that I'm going to devote my, I'm going to do exactly what you want me to. What do you want me to do, Lord? Well, I've told you, I've written it in the law. That's what I'm going to do, Lord. I'm going to do those things. Do you see how that changes the tenor, the tone of what God is saying to Joshua here? He's not saying to Joshua, earn your standing before me. He's saying to Joshua, show that you love me. Show that you are committed to me. That's a hard thing to do, you know. That's a hard thing, was a hard thing for Joshua to do. That's a hard thing for us to do. It's hard because naturally we don't want to do those things. We have this old nature in us. We have this this old man in us who's constantly telling us, don't do that. Don't be respectful to your parents. Don't be kind to your friends. Don't be forgiving to those people that hurt you. Don't do those things because that's not, you don't want to be that person. Our will is constantly telling us to sin. Our will is constantly, our old nature is constantly telling us to sin. Our old nature is constantly telling us to walk in the way of rebellion. But there comes a point where we are given eyes to see, eyes to know, minds to understand that that path that we've been walking on by nature is a very, very bad path. It's a path that leads to misery and to brokenness and to suffering and to judgment. But God has arrested us on that path. He has grabbed us and claimed us for his own. And he says, now show that you are grateful. Show that you love this. Show that you want to be my child by giving yourself in loving devotion. Now, I understand from a theological perspective, such obedience is only possible by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit obtained for us by Jesus Christ, the ascended Lord and Savior. But that doesn't make it any more necessary, or any less, rather, necessary or real. We who have been anointed in the water of baptism may not, must not diminish the call to grateful living. That's sometimes the temptation, isn't it? That's what the devil whispers in our ears. You as Christians, 
You don't have to live the Christian life. You don't have to be good and righteous and holy because you're forgiven. But the Lord says, no. No, you see, I want you to express, to show, to declare that you love me, that you trust me by surrendering your life to me. To do that, of course, requires courage. Think of what these young men recite each Friday. What it means to be a cadet and what it means that they are striving to be reverent and obedient, compassionate, consecrated, trustworthy, pure, grateful, loyal, industrious, and always the loudest and most passionate, cheerful. That's what God's calling these young men to be. Now, you and I who have lived in this world long enough know those are hard things to do. And those are not worldly characteristics. Pure in a sexually immoral age. Obedient in an independent, individualistic age. Reverent, compassionate, trustworthy. Those are things that will get you walked over. Those are things that will make you an object of derision in this world. It's no easy thing to live according to the plan and purpose of God, according to the will and word of God. And even as mature Christians, we understand that, don't we? Being godly as a woman in a perverse culture is no easy thing. Being a leader in our homes in a selfish society is no easy thing. Being kingdom-oriented in our businesses rather than bottom-line-oriented is no easy thing. To do what God calls us to do each and every day confronts us every day with a choice from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to bed. A choice of a path that is hard. A choice of a path that leads uphill that requires strenuous activity, persistent obedience, constant commitment and a way that is easy. A way that's like getting on a toboggan and going down the hill. The Lord calls us to show that we, that we know our own flaws, that we, own our own, we know our own tendency to go down on the toboggan and to say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to walk up the hill. I'm going to pursue righteousness. I'm going to walk in the way of the Lord. Now that, that runs contrary to a, a lot of our friends and neighbors and even ourselves. And it's easier to be like everyone than to be a forgiving person, a sacrificial person, a humble person. So we're going to need courage. Courage to live this way. Courage to live radical lives in a dying world. You gain that courage when you see what God has done for you. You see that He has claimed you and that He's given you His Word not for your proving of your worth, but He's given you these ten words so that you might walk in them, that you might walk the path of life in them, that you might show your love for Him in them. For in the end, that's what this is all about. It's about God, isn't it? 
the last call, the one that comes at the very end of the text for these boys this year, includes these words. Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. That's the answer to all the problems Joshua was facing. Joshua was facing significant challenge because Moses had died and because the people weren't particularly nice and because the enemy was rather strong. The circumstances of life presented with him or presented before him were too great for Joshua to overcome. So he had every reason to be afraid, every reason to imagine it wasn't going to work, every reason to enter into this task believing it would fail. But he had one reason to be confident. The abiding presence of his God, of his covenant Lord, the God who was there when he called Abraham and gave him this promise, the God who was there when he called Moses and gave him this promise, the God who is now speaking to Joshua himself and is giving him this promise, the God who spans time and eternity, who, who abides through all of the challenges of life, who is there in the highs and the lows, who is there no matter what, who will be there long after we're gone. God says, I'm your God. I'm with you. And that in the end is the great comfort. It's a comfort that is rooted in Christ. It has to be. God doesn't love us because of who we are. He loves us because of what He's done for us in Jesus Christ, because He's cleansed us, because He's forgiven us, because He's redeemed us in His Son. And God is our God because He promised to do that because he entered into a covenant with his people, a covenant signed and sealed in baptism. And that promise is experienced and enjoyed every day in the beauty of the creation in which we live, in the health and well-being that we enjoy, in the opportunities to worship that we've been given, and in the encouraging word that God gives to us implanted in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We are blessed beyond measure because God is our God because He is with us. He's with us when we go into the hospital. He's with us when we go into the lawyer's office to sign the divorce papers. He's with us when we, when we struggle in our business or lose our business and have to declare bankruptcy. He's with us in all of life's joys. When we receive a child and we suddenly realize that to raise this child is beyond our ability, He's with us. When we get married and we think, what have I done? The Lord is with us. The Lord is with us every step of the way. He will never leave nor forsake us. Those are the words of Jesus. I will be with you till the end of the age. Jesus is with us. Our courage is not in ourselves. That's the courage of the world. The courage of the world says, I can do it. The courage of the world says, I'm good enough, strong enough, smart enough, able enough. And we are this strange people that enter into this world and say, you know what, I'm not. I'm not good enough by far. I'll mess this up more than I'll ever succeed. But I know someone who is great and greatly to be praised, and he's my God. He has loved me perfectly in Jesus Christ, and he's given me his word, and I rest upon the foundation of those promises. I devote myself to living in obedience to him because I know this God is mine. The cross of Calvary, the empty tomb, testify that this God is mine. And in the strength of this God, I will walk each day as more than a conqueror. Not everybody has this encouragement in our world. Not everybody knows this confidence and grace, but we do. We do. 
Because courage comes to those who know they belong to God and he belongs to them. In Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that's what the Lord would have for these boys. That's what the Lord would have for every one of us today. Whatever it is that we're facing, whatever it is that we're enduring, whether it's today, tomorrow, this week, next month, or next year, that we go out every day into the battle of our spiritual lives, into the work and the responsibilities of being individuals, of being students, of being teachers, of being workers and employers, of being parents and children, of being husbands and wives, all of those respond, all of those tasks that we are not equal to. The Lord says, be strong and courageous because I'm with you. Let's thank Him for that in prayer. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, what a blessing is ours. What a stunning blessing is ours. For we have the privilege of being able to call you God and Father in Jesus Christ. It's amazing, Lord, to think that you who made the heavens and the earth, who rule all things, who know everything that's happening right now on this earth in perfect knowledge, who controls the wind and the waves, who's feeding the the beasts of the oceans, who's caring for for the birds of the air. You have chosen to love us, chosen to enter into fellowship with us, chosen to bless us. Lord, for these young boys that are before us, may they stand in awe. May they be taught by their counselors, by their parents, to be amazed that they've been included in the company of your people. And when they go to cadets and in time, young peoples and catechism and all of the various activities of faith and of service and growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, May they say, I'm going to do these things because I am blessed, because God is good, and because I want to know more about Him. And when they go out into the world, Lord, when we go out in the world this week, we have to fight, because we'll have to fight. Help us to be courageous. Not because everybody agrees with us, and not because everything happens exactly the way we want, but because You're with us. In Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.